It's Wednesday, get your boxing glove ready. We're gonna be fighting fit, talking. There's the call to action. Time for a bit of change. If you've been following this campaign, well, you know what you're in for. And if you haven't, what have you been living under a rock? It's the call to action about the next Reaper present. So in 20 seconds, you've only got to undo me for another 20 seconds and then we'll go live. We got everyone here, it's gonna be fun. Is we gonna go deep? A little bit political, just enough. But get your get your tea ready, get your beer or whatever, and we'll jump into it in three seconds. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the live stream of the... Uh, well, it's not really the Architecture Social, because this is actually the call to action about who's going to be the next Reaper president. And that's what we're all here for, and that's what we're all excited for. But just before we go into it, if you're joining us on this live stream, some people on LinkedIn had a few problems last time, and it was actually more stable on YouTube. So if, so if at any point you struggle with the live stream or you struggle to watch it, check out our YouTube channel as well. So I can see that we've got one or two people joining us as well. But I'm just going to remind everyone what the purpose was before we introduce the, the, the guests. So this is all about the call to action that we put about the next Reba president who needs to be representative of our members, people in the working force, people like you and I, part twos, part threes, you name it, regular working qualified architects. Because I think that's what you need to be. Have 60 people vote for you and you need to be qualified. And other than that, you can run for the Reba presidency. So on that note, we've had some awesome workers just like us who have kind of thrown their hat into the ring and are going for it. And today, tonight, we're all going to talk about the campaign and we're going to learn a little bit more about these four fantastic individuals. And you get the chance to see if you resonate towards some of their thoughts and feelings. And if you think that person, I feel like they represent me, well, you can vote for them in the next Reaper election. So on that note, I'm not going to take up any more of the stage. I'm going to go around now and talk to everyone we've got here. So I've got one or two people in the background which is helping me here, which is Simeon, but he's not one of the candidates, but Simeon's going to be helping us. And I can see that I'm going to bring Danny onto the stage, who's kind of in the mix there. And we've got the king of controversial Instagram, FAF, trailblazer, um, architect extraordinaire, kind of pushing the boundaries, getting those difficult conversations going. We've got Charlie at the bottom here as well from Faust. So thank you, Charlie, for being here. And we've got Danny as well in the background there, quite hiding down. So all good. On that note now, I'm going to introduce the four candidates. So I'll double check if there's an order here. Probably should have checked it at the start. So Simeon, I'm just going to go around who I can see on the screen here. But well, we've got Benjamin here, over here. So, Benjamin, do you want to say quickly hello, introduce yourself, tell us about you and why you felt like you wanted to chuck your name into the ring? Yeah. Hey, so I'm Ben. I'm a recently qualified architect. I've been an architect for about a year. Um, I am a part three champion at Westminster. I work at a practice working on data centers mostly. I'm in the process of putting together an event for the London Festival of Architecture to get 
architects involved raising money for homelessness charities. And I chose to get involved because, you know, trying to improve things and not just sitting and complaining. And when this opportunity presented itself, I thought, yeah, sure, let's give that a go because Reba is a bit out of touch, especially for us younger employed people as opposed to practice owners, it seems. Uh, so, yeah, thought, let's give it a go and see if we can try and improve things a bit. Excellent. I've, and there you go. I've turned you off the solo layout, and this time I haven't kicked you off the live stream. So thank you, Ben, for being here. I'm not going to grill you and give you a round of applause, but I really appreciate you being here. So next below me, we've got Henry Pelly here. So Henry, it's so good that you could hear this evening. Do you want to introduce yourself, and I'll put the solo layout, and you can speak to the crowd about why you felt like you'd like to run to be the next Reba president. So uh, my name's Henry. I'm I actually I'm, so I'm an architect, but I work as a sustainability consultant. And I mean, the reason I work as a sustainability consultant is pretty similar to the reasons um, I kind of want to help reform the profession. So when I finished my part two and I was working out what I was going to do next and which practice to go to, I was just looking for, you know, somewhere where I could redevelop my sustainable um, construction knowledge. And actually that at the time it didn't really exist in practice and it, it's starting to exist now, but it's something that really, you know, the profession needs to develop um, in a really deep way and across the board. It's not something for just some exemplar practices. It's for everybody to, to like understand what they can do to tackle the climate emergency. And the other reason that I worked as a sustainability consultant is because I could then work for a practice that is um, employee owned um, and where everybody after four, after four years become a partner and everybody has a really um central way in running their offices so the office so you know those opportunities they exist in the built environment but i felt like architecture should be able to adopt those models and i think that reba really has a role in terms of um basically pushing the profession to improve um the way that uh the work their working practices and the way people do things brilliant brilliant so Thank you for that, Henry. I'll I'll remove you now. Sorry, I'm the cameraman clicking around, and I added Tamara who joined us here. Look, why so many of us has cut the screen down, but that's all right. That's all good. So, Henry, thank you so much for your introduction. We love the fact that you being here, and it's great that you chase and enjoy your company. To me, I think that's awesome and very timely with the way things are going. So, all right, all right. I've got to continue to go around now, and I can see. So, Hannah, I guess. The, it's kind of reshuffled on my screen, but perhaps now, if you're happy with it, I'll bring up the solo layout and you can tell us all about yourself and why you wanted to run for this position. Hi, so I'm Hannah Deacon. I qualified in 2019 and I've been working as a project architect ever since, running multiple projects, including two on site at the moment. I was state educated in Dorset where I worked in a rural practice and then freelance and now in an urban practice in Oxford. So I have a sort of good experience of all of those different um, nuances about working in architecture in the UK. Um, and my key ambitions are sort of enforced practices to produce sustainable design, pay their workers over time and sort of strengthen the role of the architect at the same time so that we have a better control over the construction industry in terms of um, quality of what's being built and energy efficiency. So that's that's me. Excellent. Sorry, <laughs> that's perfect. 
That was brilliant. So now what I've learned live, and you learn sometimes live here, that if I want to move people off to the backstage, then I can do that, but then it kicks people off while they're talking. So Danny, who's joining us, I'm going to remove you from the stream, I think. Let me try and do that now. Let's go. Let's see if I can get you off the stream. Danny, if I kick you off, just join us in a second. But there we go. I might have kicked Danny off. No, it seems like she's still there. Amazing. Simeon, I'm going to try and remove you now. And we're going to do that just before we move around. Okay. Cool. So you're still there. Perfect. All right. So next, I really appreciate that. Last but not least, while you are, do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? And I will get the solo layout going now. Hi, everyone. Hi. My name is Moiwa Oki. I'm an architect. I work at Mace. I'm here because I want to see an unprecedented kind of Reba, um, because we know that change is needed because we're in unprecedented times. The IPCC remind, reminded us very recently that less than a decade, in less than a decade, we need a massive 50% reduction in carbon emissions to avoid climate disaster. And as a professional, I take warnings like this seriously. Um, I think the Reba needs unprecedented change because us as the community feel it should have more impact in championing architects, students, and the environment. Because for too long, the Reba presidency has been the rite of passage for established individuals, which we call in the status quo. And throughout my career, I have been committed to dismantling barriers and challenging the status quo in my previous practice as the um, chair and founder of the multi-ethnic group and allies network um, involved in social mobility foundations and also collaborating with Reba on um, different issues relating to diversity and leadership i believe that Reba needs to be more impactful and to do that it needs to make changes and the changes needs to include empowering the worker enabling collaboration and creating a sense of belonging so yeah, that's that's sort of my manifesto, um, and uh, the Reba presidency, which is why I'm here, because it it has a role to play in creating an unprecedented type of profession. Excellent, thank you so much. Perfect. Round of applause for everyone. I really appreciate that. Now, quick segue. So this is a live, so there's a chance for people in the audience to add your own comments as well, and and we will through this. We will bring some things, some maybe some of those questions even on the screen near the end. But just before we do that, we've actually got some questions here which have been brought to us. And Charlie and Simeon and um, I think even Tamara, you might be asking a few questions as well. So on that note, gentlemen and ladies on the stage, is there someone who's asking a first question and we're going to ask them to all the candidates but tell me, is it is it Charlie or Tamara or Simeon? Who's doing the first question to the I believe table? I'm kicking off with question number one. So right. unless anyone tells me otherwise, but I'm just going to dive in. Dive so in. first question uh, is, we need a president who is not afraid to join in with trade unions to protect our rights. We need a president who will challenge practices that do not follow employment law and exploit their work workers. How would you use the position of Reba president to support this ambition? Good question. All right. So 
Ben, you're kind of next to me. So, Ben, you get tracked the question first. Go for it. All right. So I think the biggest problem with Reboot at the moment is that it seems to be set up, at least looking from the outside, more to protect the profession generally from clients rather than to protect anyone in the profession. So one of the key things that Reba has that it can, can use to control the profession and, and, and practices is, is the chartered practice uh, requirements, which from a sort of staff protection perspective are kind of rubbish. Uh, if you have a complaint, you go to your boss, not to Reba. So first thing is change that so Reba actually <laughs> is addressing the problems rather than sort of leaving them to bubble away for ages. And the other thing is that Reba needs to actually partner, I think, with these these communities that are built up separate to Reba to encourage that, like, like uh, UVW saw and everything, and use that as a way to really understand what it's like being employed as an architect rather than just listening to the few members who vote, which is not a lot every year, or uh, are on the council, which is obviously a small cross-section. It needs to actually act in the way it says it should be. You know, don't fire half your staff and then think that the practices who are members are going to treat their employees any better than you've done. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Thank you, Ben, for sharing that. First question as well, always difficult. I'll give you a quick round of applause. Why not? All right. Next question. I think we've got Anna next. The same question. Next person. Anna, floor's yours. Thank you. So, yeah, firstly, I would support trade unions, obviously, as I'm a worker and they have clear benefits for workers. I think it's important to educate the profession on the benefits of trade unions and, you know, actually educate people on what it means and how it will reduce inequality in pay, improve the working conditions, but also that increased wages has proven to um, lead to increased productivity. So, you know, we, we none of us. I mean, I particularly didn't really know what it meant because I was never talked about in architecture. And you know, there's the stigma of a trade union. And actually, we need to educate people and the benefits and how it will improve the profession for everyone. Um, you know, this is not necessarily just about sticking it to the map. It is, but it's also going to improve the profession overall. So I think everyone should get behind it and be educated in that. Um, and I think the sort of great work that's done by, you know, um, Ben mentioned SAW, but also Future Architects Front in encouraging RIBA to look into having unpaid overtime abolished, you know, practices must pay their staff if they work overtime. Because I personally think that's the root cause of all malpractice in, you know, under-resourcing, not charging enough fees, irresponsible business management. So we do need to continue that amazing initiative that started and actually enforce it my answer to that excellent i uh, sorry i almost unmuted myself muted myself and then muted you back so thank you hannah that's awesome really appreciate that i'm gonna be moving straight on next so i guess on my screen while you're where you're next would love your thoughts on that question um yes like the question says trade unions trade unions are important are important and I echo the words of Ben, 
there needs to be more integrated partnerships with the trade unions, encourage the members to join the trade trade unions. Um, because the the REBA needs to set a focus on the future of the, the profession. And the future of the profession is the students, the pipeline. Um, and that can be done via the wages, what the transparency in wages um, within different practices. And also, um, it needs to have a sort of consequence for poor behavior. So at the moment, I'm, I think most um, reports or any time someone uh, um, mentions something to the RIBA, uh, there's lots of a long um, process determining what sanctions happens. I think that needs to be become swifter um, and also is, expand the scope of the standards committee. If you look at FAF, I mean, two or three of them have scoured the internet and they are policing at job adverts. They're doing, in, in, in some ways, they're like proxy RIBA. Um, so I think the RIBA, whether it's it's because of uh, lack of resources, they need to dedicate resources to actually looking through what people are are, are saying on online and how much they're charging or, or advertising for their um their um their, their jobs that they are advertising for and making sure that they stick to the standards because at the moment the standards are just words on the internet. Um, so I would like to see shaky working contracts and all that um, malarkey abolished um, and newer and more creative revenue models within embraced within the, um, the architecture profession. That's the only way that we can lift all boats with the tide. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much, Maya. I really appreciate that. And last but not very least on this question round, Henry. Uh, do you want to jump in with your thoughts there, my friend? Yeah, so I think everyone's made some really good points. And I think Moya's point about the fact that, you know, the, uh, and Hannah made the same point, that actually the profession is strengthened by better working practices. I mean, the, I mean, the, uh, the importance of the char of chartered practice scheme is that as a professional, you should be held, held to a higher standard. And it's not just about meeting employment law. It's about a set of practices that exist within the profession that means that actually it's a profession that people want to work in. So, I mean, I said that I went to work for another, for an engineering practice. And one of the reasons is their working practices. Where I work, everyone's paid an hourly rate and you get paid for every single hour you work. So that completely disincentivizes the people that I work for putting, and now I, now I run some people. I, if, I, they, if they have to do more work because I have, I've messed up the programming, then it costs it costs the practice directly, and therefore you make better decisions about how you how you run how you run that work, and effectively it immediately becomes unprofitable. If you you know the major reason that exists is to stop graduates being exploited, you know, if you come in and you are and and like they aren't be, being paid for overtime, it incentivizes you to make them work, and you effectively take that as a profit, and it's really really deep exploitation. So I think you know. Basically, there need to be a set of working practices that mean the profession is somewhere that people want to work. And the profession is strengthened by REBA actually policing and understanding what's going on. Because when I did my part three, I just heard a whole load of horror stories about what was really happening. And I think it's something that, um, you know, it only takes 5% of practice to behave that way for it to tarnish the entire, you know, people's experience of being in practice. So I just think that, um, you know, if there are two things, it's about, it's about 
demonstrating what exemplary working practices look like and encouraging people to do it and really policing those practices that are doing things which are going to turn people off the profession in the wider sense and to hold them to a higher standard than just employment law. And I don't think that is the, I don't think employment law is the, is the, is the, is the bottom line. It has to be a lot higher than that in terms of um, how practices operate. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that, Henry. Well said, and, and, and you're right. I do think architecture practices should hold accountability for them. I do think it's really, really important. So I tell you what, we've got the next question or two coming up in a second, but in the audience, actually, Ben, who's a past president, left some, left a little note, which I thought was interesting, talking about the initiative, talking about the outcome and how it works. But I think this could be a nice segue, perhaps, and I'll try and talk about what it is, but Charlie, you can help me out a little bit. But the reason behind this call of action is that this is not part of the this is this is I guess a, a chance for you to see who are the candidates as part of this campaign and then the outcome is we'll all vote and there's a few, there's a few rules and Charlie will explain that in a bit more detail on how that works but then that candidate basically gets the blessing of this campaign and the idea is that's a candidate that if anyone believes in this campaign and what they're doing that is the candidate they should back but charlie do you want to run through it a little bit so that ben understands how this is or for anyone that hasn't been following it how this is going to uh, work yeah, so essentially as a collective of sort of grassroots organizations from FAF to Architecture Social to UVW Saw to ACAN, we've all put out this call to action. Um, we have the four candidates right now. And the idea is that through an open voting process, we will have the one candidate that goes forward to the actual uh, re election. And so that candidate will have the weight of the many grassroots groups involved uh, behind them. So no need to worry about the vote being split because um, that's, yeah, that's, it's, it's all very concentrated towards uh, whoever receives the most votes in our own sort of hustings process. Um, that is until we can change the bylaws that allow for co-presidency or something like that. But for now, one candidate only, sadly. Correct. Thank you so much, Charlie, for helping me explain that very eloquently. And that's why it's so important, the the questions that we we're having here, because it really should be about the candidate that you feel uh, most closely aligned for, you should vote, because then they could be the one potentially running this campaign and having a really good shot at getting in there um, and going for it. So thank you for that nice quick segue. I'm going to continue with the next question. So Bear with me one second. I'm going to remove this question, but perhaps you could tell me briefly um, on stage who's going to do the next question while I bring it up, which I believe talks about climate. Is that, let's see, is it Tamara? Are you doing? That might be Simeon. Oh, Simeon. I got to get him to the stage. That would help, wouldn't it? There we go, Simeon. You're back. There you go. I, I, I think I think Charlie had another question to ask, but maybe we can do one we'll each probably... and then come yeah. back around again. Okay, well, it's only because I gave them homework. So, um, the third, the sixth IPCC report was published in March 2022, um, which is all about mitigation of climate change. So, what are your key takeaways? And if you're an RIBA president, 
what would you put in place to address that report? Mm. Hey, on that note, so Ben, you're the you're the first on the screen. This is the way it goes around. Ben, what are your thoughts, first of all? Uh, I mean, my main takeaway is basically, I think, what we already did, which is, unfortunately, the profession we're in is responsible for a significant proportion of the the carbonization of the atmosphere. You know, in 2019, 21% of all greenhouse gases came from buildings, which is really, really bad. And And obviously, we need to do everything we can to fix that which is obviously what lots of these groups like ACAN are trying to do. And, and Reba has made a climate claim and everything. I think the problem is we're still beholden to the clients and we have to convince them that this is the best way to do things. And I think Reba needs to sort of draw a line in the sand and basically be like, if, if you're hiring a chartered practice, which you should be because you have demonstrated over the past however many decades that that is a beneficial thing for you in, in an architect you need to listen to them when it comes to sustainability and designing in a in a suitable manner uh meaning sufficient was the term used in the ipcc report um so it's one thing for us to as an individual architect go thank you mr client for offering to give me lots of money to build your nice hotel i really think you should consider not just knocking down that big block of flats that you've built that, that's been there for 20 years. We should repurpose it somehow. And for the client to go, yeah, but that's complicated. Don't want to do it. Whereas if as a profession guided by Reba as this body, we make it, we're making it clear that if you're hiring an architect, that's what you're going to get. That's what you should be doing. Then it's then not, us as one architect of practice saying you need to do this it's all of us saying you need to do this then this is what we're going to do great thank you so much ben and just for anyone if you saw the wrong question that's because i did bring up the wrong question so thank goodness i'm not running for the president because i couldn't distinguish between the two but luckily on stage these candidates can so brilliant all right i'm gonna move on next on the stage so who have we got next? There we go. So Hannah, you're up here. Do you want to tackle the question? Yeah. So I think um, sort of in, I've got two main takeaways from the report. Sort of the first one was quite interesting. There's the, it says that market forces alone are not likely to achieve the necessary transformation without external stimuli. Basically, we can't rely on the client going, oh, yes, we want an eco-friendly building. And reading this, there's the MBS did a sustainable futures report where they basically asked consultants and architects, what do you think the main obstacles to sustainability are? And the top three, all surrounded by, oh, the lack of client demand, oh, the cost of sustainability. We're basically blaming other people, essentially, and not taking responsibility. Um, you know, we have a huge contribution we write the specifications, we do the drawings, we do have that influence and we can do the hard sell. It is possible. I've done it on my projects. I've managed to convince clients to go passive house when they never have before. So I think that's one thing is that we can do more and we can't just hide behind the client. And I think, you know, Ben's right, RIBA needs to do that. 
as a whole rather than pinning it on individuals necessarily. But I would say I think RBA can use their power as well. I personally think the RBA should strip practices of their chartership if they're not mitigating climate change. Because we all agree that it's a crisis. We all agree with the IPCC report. So why don't we actually do something about it? Um, so that would be my first. And I sort of talked about last time, you know, that could include the carbon footprint of the office itself, as well as the projects they work on. You know, it, it could be more of a holistic approach as well. Um, you can think about. And then the other takeaway I have from the report um, is that um, they're basically saying that zero carbon and low carbon options is a real challenge for education and training to get the industry up to scratch and literate in zero carbon. And we need to be training our students, our architects in being passive health designers or similar. You can't just, you know, what Henry touched on, you know, becoming a sustainability consultant because it wasn't basically available as an architect. I mean, that's just not unacceptable. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, you know, the complete overhaul of the CPD training, things like that, and supporting having compulsory passive house design in our RBA chartered degrees. Excellent. Thank you so much, Hannah. That's great. Uh, we're going to have the next two candidates talk about this. And then I think after we'll do a bit more of a speed run of questions as well. But I think I've got to be fair and diplomatic. I can't limit the next two. Uh, so please take your time and enjoy. We might stress Simeon out, but that's part of the process. My way, you're next. Feel free to answer um, the question. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Um, like I said before in my opening statement, the IPCC had reminded us that um, we are less than a decade away from a climate disaster and we need to reduce um, by 50% uh, carbon emissions. And one one thing that struck me when I read the summary um, was over 40% of us, the world population, are highly vulnerable. Um, and going looking at that and also looking at other how other industries have um, responded to this i had i read a mckinsey research report that estimated 9.2 trillion annual investment is required to support decarbonization and net zero transition and then i asked the question um how much capital has the riba earmarked to um, invest in net zero i don't know what that is um, and as, as the, the, the RIBA president, you need to understand what that is and how to allocate the resources to make that happen, because we are trying to move away from we're trying to move away from committing to attempt to meet a target. For example, like the Reba 2030 Climate Challenge, I read that, and um, it says that we are going. It's it's for practices to commit to try to. And I think that is unacceptable right now. We need to move to, into an execution phase to actually do things. And I echo a little bit of what Anna said. It needs to start from university. Um, I was lucky enough to go to Sheffield that since 2010, we've been talking about Passive House, we're talking about uh, zero, um, uh, net zero um, buildings and how to make uh, buildings for its local community. And I think that these, um attitudes and um ways of working needs to be become a little bit more prevalent within our um uh, university sector 
and then it filters into our working day. Um, but also more important, what I would like to do is because we're, we're working as a collaborative, as a coalition, I think it will be it would be prudent to facilitate and engage this group and crowdsource and agree on a way forward um, to genuinely deliver um, um, our goals for 2030 and 2050. Um, because it is not about, you know, one person saying what it is, what the truth is, because it, the truth is different for different practices. Smaller practice face a different um, ecosystem than a, a larger multinational practice. Um, but my key key takeaway was um, <clears throat> the, the the use of digital technologies, and that is that in, that that includes upskilling people to use digital technologies because they can contribute to mitigation of climate change. So digital technologies like um, digital twins, Internet of Things, sensors, this and that and the other, those need to be like commonplace within architecture, and we need to start understanding the impact our designs um, um, do in the long term with um, post-occupancy evaluation and such like. So those are the key main changes and things that I would like to see and implement as the Weaver president. Thank you. Excellent. All right. All right. Okay, perfect. So last but not least on this question, Henry, and then we will go from the more you know, insightful, deep and assessing you guys, understanding of all this stuff, which I'm quite pleased with so far. And we'll do the speed round. But Henry, last but not least, tell us what you think on this report. So um, like one of the key findings or one of the key sort of, because obviously it's a, you know, it's a synthesis of everything that everybody who's looking at these issues has come to. But basically in 2020, we had about, like the built environment was a produce about 29 gig gigatons of carbon each year. And like, you know, basically in the moderate action scenario, it looks like that it will be 34 tons, gigatons of CO2 by 2050. And in with a no action, which I don't think it's going to happen, um, you're looking at 50 gigatons. So doubling by 2050 um, without intervention. But the really optimistic thing is that, you know, basically if there is real action, um, we could get that to three gigatons by 2050. And that might just get us within one and a half, like sort of within two degrees and possibly one and a half degrees. And the, the things architects can do, you know, ultimately in the global south, it's about developing new communities that are much denser, that rely on public services. That's like basically in places where development is necessary to improve quality of life. It's about really thinking about, it's at the master planning level, it's about planning cities in a way that are much lower carbon um, places to be much better, like but much better quality of living. And in developed economies like us, it's just about retrofit. It's ultimately the work we have to do is retrofit. So I I do obviously this is this is the work that I do on a daily basis and I, I work with architects. Um and um, you know, one of the things that's sort of changed since I've been working is that the grid has started to decarbonize and is decarbonizing fast. And what that means is if you electrify your heat, if you make sure you don't put gas, new gas into buildings, you know, that will, those buildings will decarbonize over time. And ultimately it means that embodied carbon becomes by far the biggest issue in terms of climate change. So architects are going to be more and more responsible for the climate impact of their buildings going forward. It's not something that can be left to building service engineers. Um, and, and I think that kind of highlights a really important thing. Things change and the energy context changing and the energy transition means that actually architects really need to be helped to be informed about what the decisions are. So, I mean, basically, 
in order to make someone do something, they have to both care about something and know what to do. And in the architects that I work with, it's not the care issue is not one that exists. Like most architects actually care about these issues. You know, we're sort of thinking creative people and we really want to do something. It's actually the kind of like, what do I actually do in this particular situation? And I think that's the one thing I think Reba can really do. Like the 2030 challenge at the moment is like the minimum viable product. It's just like some standards that we can work towards. It's great that it's built around our outcomes. And actually they're really, they're really, I think it's really nicely structured for a really small piece of work that could have an impact, but it needs to have a huge amount of resources for architects to go with it in order there's somewhere to go. There's a place, there's a forum to share that knowledge and to really build it. So if there's like one thing um, Reba can do is to develop a really, really comprehensive knowledge sharing platform that takes what architects are doing and sharing with the parts of the profession because you know there are 30 million buildings in, in this country um at least 20 million of them need to be like fossil fuels removed and designed to be electrified and that's work quite a lot of that work work for architects um and they need and we need to know what to do and we need to be able to share that knowledge as it develops over the next over the next um 15 years um so i think you know there is a response and i think Reba really has got a role in terms of absolutely going full in, in terms of helping the profession learn. So it's not just education, it's about in, in practice learning, like learn exactly how to do these things and to share all the best practice so that it's just something that we do rather than something that we talk about um, as a sort of like, you know, with some words in, on, on the front cover of, uh, on the front page of each website. So I think that's, that's for me is the, is the big piece that, that I that I'd be able to bring, and I think that um, Reba could focus on whoever whoever pushes forward. That's the thing we should um, be doing. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Henry. Everyone done really well there. So I'm going to give you a round of applause. Now, if this was the Great British Bake Off, that would have been the technical challenge. All right, but now we're gonna. It's all going to be mixed up, and I'm get. I've been told from the background team that I get more powers to use soundboards and everything which I think, Simeon, you will live to regret. But that means I got... This is get literally on my... what I did not say that. I did uh, not say that. USA, USA. <laughs> if you've been following that, the Johnny Depp case, I've been learning about that. USA, we can't prove it either way. So it... we're going to be getting sounds out now. So I've been told we're going to do it. We're going to ask questions. But if it gets to that point, um, I have to keep moving the show on so that we can cover the length of things. So I'm almost in danger of beeping myself. So on that note, Tamara, you are next, I believe, with the question for the panel. And Simeon will kindly tell me what question, and I'll bring it on the screen as well. Thanks. So uh, this is a question posed by Chris Simmons last, um, last oh. week. Things. Okay. And he asked, uh, what more can the ROBA do to help architecture students transition into practice and support them during early years? Oh, good question. All right. So it's the speedier round. Ben, don't make me get my buttons out and go for it. Uh, step one, stop charging students for PDLs and signing up to the PDL thing because at the moment they're not making enough money to cover all of that. You've just come out of university. It's ridiculous. Second of all, uh, Reba should probably assign mentors directly to students or at least oversee that across universities to make sure that people have a point of contact and, and someone to talk to 
outside of their practice rather than just having to find a university who then probably charges you again to sign your PDRs uh, for a PSA person that you speak to like twice via email. Uh, that is the quickest thing I can think of to deal with that. Excellent. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't beep you then. You beat me to the soundboard, which means you did very well. So, all right, next on the stage, we have, I believe, Hannah. Go for it. Yeah, so I did the RBA student mentor program. So I sort of, you know, I saw what is available currently and actually, you know, it needs to be far more like far reaching, you know, as been even is suggesting like it's mandatory or whatever everyone has a mentor so i agree definitely agree with that i think you know maybe we could make pdr free but also use that system where people can actually put in feedback and we can actually talk to students of what their experiences are ask them does your degree prepare you for practice get get those questions out there because i only was spoken to an riba person once in my entire and they were just asking me how's it going and that was a week before my final hand and I was just sort of on a mental breakdown and no one wanted to uh speak the truth about their professors because we were all scared they were going to remove our marks so I think you know just communication there's literally none at the moment use those persistence in place like the PDR or whatever to speak to people and get feedback perfect perfect well done short sweet to the point can't even press any of my sounds. I did one anyways. All right, moving on. Mayo, I think you're next. Go for it. Um, yes, PDRs are, I think that's a good a good idea. And also, I would say summer schools. Um, I, need to, I think we need to be engaging with students outside of schools um, and create a test bed to, to do live projects outside of, um, um, outside, because they everyone's engaged with how to design. And we want to do more design. But also, I think a summer school experience um, could put to practice some of the ideas you build um, during university, like detailing structure, aesthetic consideration, and things like that. Um, but also, it gives you like contacts within the industry. And I think, like I said before, um, the, one of the reasons why you are good at your job is the contacts and the, the communities that you, you have. And the Reba is that place to find the, the, the contacts. Um, and also, summer schools are fun. Um, like you can build something. I, I remember when I was in university, um, a colleague of mine did a summer school in like Bulgaria. She set it up herself and a couple of people within the year went over and they had so much fun. Um, so the, the Reba, the RIBA can actually formalize that a little bit and bring multiple people around the building, built environment to to work and understand each other and um, be prepared for um, life as a as an architect in practice. Excellent. Wow, you guys are too good now. Speed run is working perfectly. Henry, all over to you now. Well, I'll be quick because I think everyone's covered, you know, I think, you know, free PDAR is a great idea. Better mentoring, better mentorship is also really great. And summer schools are also a really, like, great, you know, would be a really important initiative that Reba can get involved in. Because I think that point about those contacts and those relationships in an early stage are really important. So for me, it's kind of, there should be much better, um, basically, Reba should help people who are all doing their part three or about or coming into doing that part three. So see, it's a couple of years before, it'd be really helpful to be able to talk 
and know who else is doing it because you might know people in your practice and you might know some people that you went to university with but it'd be really helpful to know like who in your region are doing the part three at the same time at different schools because ultimately lots of that learning like the stuff that really matters you learn from you learn from your peers you know you have those conversations about what you you're struggling with and like that would make it a much more uh, robust and enjoyable process because if so i did my part three at westminster and you know the opportunities you know you go there in the evening the opportunities to actually mix and know everybody else in your part three are actually quite limited you know we had a week in residence and that's the one time that i met some other people but like being able to do that um would be really really helpful in terms of um strengthening the profession and keeping people in the profession who might feel that the part three trying to balance their part three and being forced to work too many hours is too difficult understanding how they can get through that um would make would mean that we just keep more people um and better people in architecture Perfect. Amazing. Thank you all for doing that. That is awesome. So it's actually, while before quickly we do the next question, I just want to do a shout out to people in the audience which have left notes or thoughts and so forth. John Watkins says, thank you everyone so far. The input, the ideas and passion is fantastic. We will do your question later, John, but I just wanted to get your thoughts in there. And Ben agrees and says the discussion is right, that we should be working together with, with the clients to deliver on decarbonization in the industry. Thank you for all for putting your notes. That is massively appreciated. So on that basis, I am going to check the running order who's going to ask the question next, which I believe, if I've got it right, is Charlie. Charlie, uh, what question would you like to ask the gang? Yes, yeah, so uh, the next question is, we know that an easy way for the Reaper to get engagement at the moment is through things like seminars, latitudes, things like this. Uh, but what actual material initiatives would you want to see the Institute implement under your leadership? Ooh, good question. Ben, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, Actually, should we, should, we, should we go backwards on this one? Oh, oh, he's really mixing it up. Well, he's testing me now. Henry, go for so it. For me, it's the climate emergency as like the main, the main focus. Um, you know, it's the experience that I'd bring. Um, and I think that's the kind of basically, you know, what does going from minimal viable product to absolute like world-class exemplar of knowledge sharing platform to basically bring a profession. So, I mean, bring a profession to the forefront. I mean, I think what is kind of missed sometimes in conversations is that actually, you know, um, uh, you know, actually the UK, the, the sort of sustainable construction expertise in the UK, especially around embodied carbon, is actually quite globally leading the good practices because actually a lot of people are still stuck in the operational energy as the main issue, as the paradigm. Um, and that's that's quite refreshing, but actually that's not spread across the profession yet it's just happening in in pockets it's happening in sort of like some of those buildings and actually sharing that information and making sure that reba demonstrate that they're leading through that kind of knowledge sharing i don't think it's it's not about like webinar cpds it's about proper knowledge sharing like ability for people to have so in my practice in my engineering practice there's a thing called the engineering discussion group it's been around since the early 90s uh it's really horrible interface but it's an amazing really deep resource in terms of people sharing problems against certain issues and then like deep discussion and obviously reba can add to that so i think for me it was i mean 
I've had this sort of this analogy around leaders. Basically, when you hire someone, you know, if you hire one candidate, you end up picking a potato, like a kind of food that you could eat every day. But actually, you want to have like a varied diet. And, you know, with the re-presidency, it's only for a short period of time. And ultimately, you want someone who's like, you know, you don't want to have lots of different kinds of potato. You want to have a varied role of leaders who have like different, um, who all bring something completely different to strengthen the profession and the perspectives that Reba has. So I think, you know, for me, it would be very much like focus on climate emergency as it is the issue for this decade and it needs to be done early in this decade, not, not late. Excellent. Thank you so much, Henry. I love that analogy then of the potatoes. And um, moving on, though, on that basis, we got my, uh, I'm going to do reverse, isn't it? My way, well, you're next. Yep. I think I'm next. Um, I, okay. Um, my, what I would do is uh, make collaboration happen easily because um, I think partnerships with uh, like professional, um, specific, specifically professional um, institutions like the UK GBC, like um, the Brit, uh, British um, Property Federations. These guys know how to lobby government. They know how to um, make change happen in the wider industry. And I think that RIBA needs to be a little bit closer to them and partner with them because some of our members, like chartered member member practices are across across the board there but we need to be sure that we need to make sure that um what they're doing is 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 right for the environment uh i think one of one one the one of the one the, the good the biggest thing that i would like to do is make sure that grassroots and um um younger uh, next generation voices are heard more i think that's what is key and missing within within the the setup of the RIBA um for example I, you know i look i say i use example of faf again um they doing by proxy some of the the job of the RIBA and how do you get some of the the, the passion and the energy and the ideas from from these groups into your membership organization and make them make it happen i think allocating time resources funding for for that collaboration to happen is will be my key um key action as uh as as the next president hopefully on the RIBA. excellent i almost used my horn but you were too good you're all too trained on that notice on that note we're halfway through hannah you're next go for it yeah so i think i've got three material changes um that i would sort of put in place one of them would be you know improve the RBA 2030 challenge climate challenge make it compulsory for all practices but also get feedback from practices and what support they need to actually um you know make their projects more sustainable what information they need whether it's passive house training whatever actually get the feedback from the industry of what's required and spend some money on it um and in order to do that we would stop the refurbishment of portland place we don't need to spend 20 million pounds on that we can reassign that money for much more worthy causes and if we are going to if any refurbishment gets done why we should be opening up that amazing facility to everyone for free and um you know put those young voices and give those communities 
like me you are saying he was saying you know give that opportunity for young voices to be heard give those grassroots communities free access to portland place and other rba platforms so that would be my second thing and then i'm quite passionate about you know residential sector for example is a huge contributor to all the carbon emissions that sort of the ipcc report announced and what currently happens is developers don't even use architects they simply copy and paste and that's all the toy towns that we see today i would lobby government to uh, make it compulsory for anything over 100 square meters to be designed by an architect as is in europe if you make a planning application in europe for something over 100 square meters an architect is compulsory to have been designing it and that is what i'd lobby for so we can control quality of the build as well as the energy efficiency Fair enough. As as my father calls them, is noddy houses. I yeah, agree exactly. with you. We don't want more <laughs> noddy houses. Get the architect in. Excellent. All right, Ben Benjamin. Last but not least, please go for it. So I think the first thing is a complete reassessment of the code of conduct for practices. It's not been updated since 2016. Things have changed a lot since then. You know, the, re- the RBA needs to actually act as as an arbiter for complaints when practices aren't, you know, sticking to the code of conduct. Uh, there needs to be something in there about the overtime. I also think that there used to be something about when you're uh, studying, going back to helping uh, new architects, a certain amount of, of study days. That, I think, has been changed to an amount of study days that the practice deems reasonable which means you can get anything from 10 to zero. And then you have to spend your holiday or unpaid time to go and do your part three and become an architect, for example. I think that that general uh, requirement should be a fixed amount of time and should be for everyone because a lot of the really good CPD things that do exist are like during the day and they're a day-long seminar or something. And basically the only people who can go to those are like directors who can leave during the day, whereas most young employed architects have to work. So we're left scrounging around for things, you know, from manufacturers, which can be useful, but tend to be have a bit of a bias towards that particular product. Um, and free stuff. That there needs to be a reduction in that. So generally the, 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 the sort of upskilling of architects needs to be a lot easier across the board. And Reaper should be encouraging that rather than going, you need to do CPD, but give us loads of money to do it. And also uh, we're going to make it really difficult and confusing. It's also really convoluted the way we track it. Fair enough. Thank you, Ben. That's awesome. I really appreciate that. And fair play, that was the speed round. Just before we get the next person asking the questions which i think is simeon oh everyone in the audience be getting so many fantastic questions and we can't really go through them all unfortunately but that doesn't mean that they won't be answered we will get we will do a social media campaign and so forth so everything's recorded so if you do want to keep asking the questions do chuck them across and we will make sure that at some point they are answered but just before and keep them coming before you all that stuff and you're going to check out the social media stick with us we've got a few more questions here simeon i believe you're next with the next question yeah i think we only have two more me and tamara um the RBA has a leading role within the built environment. This question kind of builds within what Alan Jones was saying in the chat. 
Um, but at the moment, it's not really multidisciplinary. So how would you make the profession better? And do you think that architectural education should necessarily lead to a career as an architect? Excellent. So I was typing away there in the background saying, give me the question to put on the teleprompter. Let's mix it up. So we'll keep going backwards like before. Henry, go for it. Well, I mean, I don't work as an architect. Um, so, yeah, no, I can't possibly say that architects should, I mean, should work as an architect. I mean, I think the, um, it's, architectural education is is a really, I mean, it's a really different kind of being at university in comparison to most people's experience. You know, there's a lot more time spent with other students doing stuff. You get to see what other people, you get to see what other people do in a way that you can't on any other, in any other subjects. And I think, you know, to be honest, architectural education and design education lends diversity to, to the kinds of education that you can get out there. Um, and I don't, but I, I do think that, um, you know, there is a, there should be more opportunity to, to do sort of when you're doing architecture, it is quite, it should be, you should have a, a broader, earlier experience of other things. So I did a research degree in architecture of my, my, for my part two and then I did an environmental psychology masters as well and there are research methods that are taught in the social sciences that are really helpful would be really helpful for architects so actually you know when you go to university you should be have the opportunity to do some alternative modules uh, rather than some of the quite token extra reba requirement uh, modules that can get pushed into the course alongside design so I just think that there is an opportunity for you know Basically, in order to bring more diversity to the profession and more diversity of thinking, when you are at university, you should probably have the opportunity to do some, you know, elective, completely tangential modules that in a way expose you to other ways of thinking, other models of the world, um, which would make architecture better. So I think I'm more sort of saying, you know, and I don't think that university is necessarily either the place that everyone should train to be an architect. I think like Ben Darbyshire made that point that actually the apprenticeship model is really helpful. There is so much to be learned in practice. And for many people, having to go through the whole university process means that it's just not, it's just not viable for them. You know, they just mm -hmm. can't, you know, it, it involves putting yourself into so much debt, which might mean actual kind of a, a worry of ruin that you end up never going into the profession. So, mm. you know, there must be much broader ways into the profession and much broader opportunities of what, if you do go the traditional university route, you should have an opportunity to explore some other things outside in your early years um, mm. in order to bring that thinking um, into um, your later work. Perfect. Thank you, Henry. And did you know, I agree with you. I think I did a tally the other day and it was like £90,000 basically to do the five years in university and live in accommodation. And, and you know, that's a lot of money, especially going into an entry level salary. But I digress. I'm not a candidate, so I'm going to have to move it on. And the next person is, is Mayua. You are free to uh, go for it. Um. Yeah, so I, I, I think I, I think that there needs to be a greater connection between um, university and practice, and the apprenticeship model works. Um, I think it's it's evolving and it's it's becoming a little bit more more and more popular pre prevalent in within the industry, and and some in some respect I'm a little bit jealous because I didn't have that option at all. Um, 
and and uh, to to sort of piggyback on um, Henry's point, I think the model of education in university education, not just in architecture, but in the UK, I think it's it's more just geared to a well, architecture actually is is geared to like this sort of siloed. You're in a box. You learn architecture. And you do all the other architecture-related things, um, and if I compare it to like the American system, where you, you take classes and you just you can choose, pick and choose, pick and mix what classes you have. Maybe it has to be in the architecture or the school of built environment. Architecture embeds itself in the school of built environment, and you can do whatever you want to um, across the the built environment um, school or something like that. I think. Moving to to, to uh, a model like like that is 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 good for the future of, of of the architect because you need to be a little bit more multifaceted. You need to be project management and all these kind of stuff. Um, but that not, that's only going to work if there is collaboration with the ARB because let's not forget the ARB is the pe the, the people who um, police the, the register of architects and, and they decide what architects should do. And it's, it's helpful to see that um, the ARB have put out that, um, that white paper about the changes in, in architectural education, because yes, it's, 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 it's outdated and mm -hmm. it needs a little bit of reform. And one of the key reforms that I would like to see is um, alternative entries into the profession. For example, um, as for me, if I look at myself, I decided on architecture as an 18 year old and I did it. I did the five years sort of tracked um, um, system. But if no one, if I didn't decide at 18 that I wanted to do architecture, I don't think I would have ever gotten into architecture. So therefore, I think when you're 21 years old or something, there needs to be different Types of architecture education, night classes, um, like the, in the like similar to like Birkbeck uh, University, um, different ways of converting into architecture. Because I think the industry and the profession will be a lot richer if you have a diversity of people within its membership. So I would like to see computer scientists, you know, wake up in the morning one day and say, "Well, I know I want to." realize and some of my designs and, and, and converting to be an architecture have an RIB and ARB qualification and be an active participant in discussions about the built environment because let's face it, they are building things that matter to us mostly. So that's Great. that's my manifesto. Um, Brilliant. I've got a I've got everyone in the backstage Say I think I think you could host the architecture social show, Mayua. If you if you do not become the Reba president, you you have a <laughs> you have a role co-hosted with me. Absolutely love it. I'm being told off because I'm not pressing my claps and everything. Um moving on. All right. So next, Hannah, go for it. Yeah, so uh, I mean I at Nottingham I had fellow students who were doing a um joint course where you got a master's of engineering and you got your part one at the same time so that way you could you know and it wasn't looked down on that they were doing that and they wouldn't get a proper part one and blah 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 like because that is a real problem is that people think if you haven't done the traditional route then that somehow you're at a disadvantage and 
you know, you're not as wanted as someone that has done exactly the right route, which I think is also a problem that we have in this industry, you know. Um, so I say, you know, on a practical level, have a degree that is meaningful for other things like engineering. Like you've actually got an engineering degree as well as a part one, for example. Rather, you know, I had a bachelor in architecture, which in any other industry is meaningless. You know, it's you get great skills from it, and I, you know, I always said that I had you know great skills that can apply to many things. But what it means to most the pe most people out there it means nothing. So I think on a practical level, something needs to be done in that sense. Um, but yeah, we need to support multidisciplinary. Um, you know, make it a richer um, kind of profession. But I think the biggest hurdles are those practical things like the ARB like what your degree actually is and also the apprenticeships as you know everyone's been talking about they are really important that is the only way that we're going to diversify the profession because otherwise it's a rich man's game because who can afford 90 grand and then get paid 20 grand at the end of it it's like a hobby so you know that's what we need to really work on and um to improve the profession well said well said thank you Hannah. that's, that's perfect <laughs> yeah i thought it was bang on the point i totally agree benjamin what would you like to add to the question i think i'm going to agree with everyone else that the fact that when we go to university all we can do is architecture sucks i was so jealous of my friends who got to study multiple things i have interested interests outside buildings i think all of us do we are not just all buildings you know, I like physics. I like languages. Why can't we look at that? It, it will help us approach our designs in a different way. It will also give us an idea of maybe if architecture is not for us and we can kind of transition more easily than sort of doing a whole undergrad or potentially even all three parts and then suddenly going, actually, I don't like this, by which point you're 90 grand in debt and what have you. I also think it's really weird that architects work with loads of people most architects I've met are really friendly and keen to help and want to get involved in things. Yet all the multidisciplinary practices are started by engineers. There's there's uh, Gensler, and I think Foster's technically counts as multidisciplinary. Uh, most of the really big multidisciplinary things are engineering companies. So why is it that when individually we want to work in teams, we're really cooperative? As a profession, we kind of leave all of that to other people, even though in some ways we're the ones with the more diverse understanding because of our, 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 our teaching. I was told at uni, architects know nothing about everything and engineers know everything about nothing. There should be a middle ground. <laughs> we shouldn't be <laughs> completely siloed like that. Maybe we should be partnering with the Institute of Surveyors and Engineers and Architectural Technologists and stuff and forming a, a mega band, I don't know. And, and, you know, when you're a member of one, you get access to everything else because we can learn from our colleagues. We learn from them all the time. Why is it that when we join this institute that is this amazing thing that helps us, supposedly, when we put it on our company, uh, it, it then goes back to university where we're in our ivory tower, like at Sheffield, they have a tower. Where I studied in Plymouth, we had a tower. No one else is there. You don't see anyone. <laughs> Why is that? We should be engaging across the board consistently, not just relying on individuals doing it when we happen to go to a networking event. 
Excellent. Thank you, Ben. That's awesome. Well done, everyone, on that question. I'm just going to pull out one or two of the comments before we move on. Amy Francis Smith says, totally agrees with Henry. She did um, three months, second month as assistant site manager on the part one-time job, and it has been one of the most valuable experiences of her career. Excellent. And as well as that, I can see that Ben said he thinks it's great that we all believe that they're against be um, made by working through the Institute. Fantastic. All right. Excellent. So I've got a little bit of housekeeping before we move on to let everyone know that part of our process is that you can actually vote about who you've seen here. And I've got the link here. So you can actually vote. You can click the link and you can see who resonates more with how you feel about things, you know, whether or not what Charlie was saying, whether or not we're Hannah and so forth. So I'm going to actually bring up the link here. So you can click on that QR code and you can, I'm going to keep it on the screen for another 10 to 20 seconds. You know, you can pause it or rewatch it and you can vote for who you'd like. So if you, who you agreed with, you can vote for them and go for it. So keep that up here for another five seconds. QR code, modern world. But if you don't fancy getting out your mobile, you can click the link. And I think Simeon's put it in the chat as well. And I will quickly grab it and I will put it down in the comments, in the channels I can share it with. Okay. So after that bit of housekeeping is done, I think now we have Tamara, who's going to do the last question for this evening. And then I'm going to round up with where you can get in contact with everyone. Tamara, I would be very grateful if you could tell us the question you'd like to show. Thanks. This actually raised a few comments that have also been made in the chat. So I'm glad about that. Uh, so, um, my question, there are a lot of REBA qualified architects that are not currently paying membership, although so they could be part of the RBA, but they're not, they choose not to. Um, these include young architects in big practices who don't see the benefit of it, but also architects in other sectors like uh, universities, local authorities. Um, and I truly believe the RBA could massively benefit if it actually catered to these individuals and they would be part of the Institute. So my question to you is, how do you attract them to be part of the REBA? How do you make them part of this? Um, so, yes, over to you. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad someone put numbers in the chat about how many architects are ARB but not REBA. Excellent. All right, for the last question, I'm going to really play with the audience, make Charlie quite happy. Hannah, go for it. Uh, jump in if I, if that's cool. Yeah, so I think um, sort of my experience of being an RABA member, um, you know, I was signed signed up because I, I, I wanted to be, obviously, but it was mainly also because the, the practice needed to have a certain amount of mem members of their practice to be able to be chartered. Now, then everyone else in the practice was asking, what are the benefits? They All they could see was that as long as you have a login or you can copy someone else's login, you can have access to everything because it's just online and a magazine turns up at the office. So I think, you know, there needs to be more personalized and more practical kind of benefits so that everyone gets involved. And that could be maybe events are free, maybe things in person. But also, you know, I think a lot of my colleagues would 
love to go back to uni and do some guest lecturing or some guest tutoring, but they don't have the time to go for uni or whatever. But So maybe the RIBA student mentor scheme could be extended and actually there could be sort of like a rolling RIBA external tutor that comes in and also that would help monitor what's going on in these universities. So I think, you know, you can have schemes like that where you get a real benefit um, and you don't have to give as much time, but you can still give back to the students. Um, so things like that. And um, yeah, I think that having those practical benefits is really helpful. I mean, my experience as a member, that was my favorite part of being an RA member was the chance to do the student mentor scheme. So I think building on that is a start in getting people involved in that way. Excellent. All right, Benjamin, I'm going to kindly ask you for your thoughts. I think it's coming back to sort of trying to getting Reba to be more collegiate. We're all here because we think there is a benefit to the Reba. We don't think it's outdated. We don't, well, we don't think it has no purpose. We, we, we want it to have a, 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 an impact and, and a role to play. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, it needs to be more involved at university so that, as Hannah said, you're actually seeing people who are Reba members rather than sort of maybe meeting one when you finish your part one. Um, and it needs to have a, a greater sort of, it, it needs to act quicker, I think, in response to what its members want. You know, I think the fact that in the last presidency election, there was a nine, 20% turnout in the last presidency election and in the council elections last year, there was a 9% turnout or something of, of people who are, uh, are in Reba, I think. So that's not even all architects because no one understands what we're doing. It needs to react quicker. It needs to listen to people, not just members, but people who are like, what, what, what are we doing? What, what's the use? To offer these things, to offer... Um, the ability to go back to university and teach, to offer workshops and CPDs and things to everyone in a way that everyone can enjoy them rather than having this bizarre tier system where some people can afford all of it and some people can afford none of it and, and figuring all of that out. It needs to just be more agile and react and respond and try to anticipate once it has an idea of what's going on, what people would want from the membership rather than just kind of pootling along going, well, obviously, people want to join us. We're the RBA. Everyone's heard of us. So why wouldn't you join? And that kind of being the extent of its marketing. Excellent. Thank you so much. Mixing the audience. Uh, audi uh, or can't even speak anymore. It's that time of night. Mixing the order up. Henry, which can you help help me out? So, I mean, I think that, um, you know, I'll go back to this. the main gist of this. Of what my point is that I think, like, if Reba really doubled down and developed an, an incredible knowledge, knowledge and expertise sharing platform, and became the real hub for knowledge on the, on how to tackle the climate emergency and for all other things in architecture. Then actually, people would see there was a like a deep benefit. And sure, you can borrow people's logins to get it get hold of that information. But and that is definitely true. But I think that if people saw it as being something relevant, I think there's a bit of a disease. And I felt like this as someone who was on the ethics and sustainable development commission and you know we we said oh do something like the ai 2030 challenge and like they did but it was like just enough 
to tick that box rather than something that is like truly valuable to the profession and transformational. And so if Reba did that and also was seen to really enforce, um, you know, especially for younger members, really enforce better working practices and did quite a lot around that, then I think people would see it as something that's really valuable. I mean, I think I, I kind of, you know, we often say, oh, it doesn't really attract that many like that many people. Actually, the fact we're having this conversation suggests that Reba still has an important role in the profession. The fact that we've taken our Wednesday night to sit around and discuss it, you know, it actually, a lot of other professions don't have these conversations about their professional body because it is completely irrelevant. And actually, it's important that Reba doesn't end up going that way. Um, you know, we feel that it's worth it's worth um, really persuading the institute to 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 try and become more relevant. Um, and I think it is in sort of basically really going after doing some a few things extremely extremely well. So excellent, excellent. All right, last but not least, and the last question. Why you are, I'm getting told off for saying your name wrong. Excuse me for being ignorant, Mr. M, or potentially Mr. President. We'll have to see how this goes. All depends on this answer. Over to you. Um, well, I, I agree with what most people have said. Um, the the RIBA is trading on its heritage, and. Um, for it to become more relevant, more 21st century, it needs to do something unprecedented. Something like um, uh, elect a uh, worker president for the first time. <laughs> um, but I think it needs to be facilitator in chief. It needs to bring ideas, um, people um, from common and uncommon areas to come together to be multifaceted. But I think for professions, professionals who don't feel like they are, they are heard or it's not for them because it's elitist, I feel like a sense of belonging is needed to be fostered so that people know why they want to be part of the RIBA. And I think it's not just the RIBA that has this issue. I think most membership organizations are in this sort of existential crisis of like, you know, why do we exist? You know, um, if people can just, you know, Google things and get it done themselves. I think it's about creating a better environment for each of us, our membership organization, but also and communicating that to us, but also communicating that to other people, people who pay us for the things that we do. And I think the Reba needs to be able to facilitate all of that better. It needs to put money where its mouth is. Um, it needs to, to, to allocate funds for drastic unprecedented changes to, to make net zero possible. Uh, it needs to make um, changes to how it engages with its membership, poll them, um, create events for them, create spaces for them outside of a box of Black History Month or um, LGBTQ plus Pride Week or something like that. It needs to have ongoing, continuous discussions. For example, I mean, um, that, my last point is membership price is kind of set in stone. It's 200 pounds. I was looking at um, something that I, uh, a, a publication that I'm a member of, which is the, the Bloomberg. It has multitudes of this different subscriptions, like 99p um, a subscription for an article. And 
I I must confess, I pay 99p at least three or four times a, a month to read an article that is important. Like I feel like it's important to me. So I think the Reber could be a little bit more creative in its um, membership fees, so that it can get more people excited about it and engage it with it in, in a meaningful, meaningful way. That's um, what I will do to encourage. Oh, perfect. I, I loved I loved it all. So that's the hard part over now, everyone on the stage. You've answered the questions, and I think it gives a real nice insight into all what you're about and what your agendas are, should you be the next Reba president. Now, for anyone that's kind of joined us halfway, because I've seen the views have been going up and down, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube and you're thinking, what do I do? How do I get involved? Well, Simeon's kindly joined us on the stage, and he's going to eloquently run through I wouldn't be able to. He's going to run through how that all works because we're kind of, this is the final call and we're wrapping up. So Simeon, if you would be an absolute gentleman and, and walk the audience through what we're doing in the next steps, that would be amazing. Right. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen. It's been like herding cats, but I think we're almost there. Um, so what we're we going to do, um, there is a voting link running today based on this second hustings. We already had voting at the first hosting. This is going to base 30% of the vote that we're going to, to use. Um, then we have a public form which is running on five accounts and you can like find it on social media. This is going this is going wider than what than the people that have turned up. This is going to form another 30% of the vote. And then all out of all the signatories, so Charlie mentioned earlier we have um, a lot of people that signed the original open letter and the sort of the idea behind having an RBA worker president, um, they've already been sent a separate form, which is going to form another 40%. So all the forms are open until the 29th of April. Um, we are going to aggregate all the votes over the weekend. And then on the 1st of May, which is International Labor Day, uh, we're going to notify one of the four people in um, our presence about who's been uh, who's been successful. What's going to happen after that? We're going to have a press release and send a request to all the people that have already signed the letter to get the 60 chartered members. And then the person who's been elected, we're going to congregate around that person and run a campaign uh, or support them in their sort of campaign, the RBA president. The reason why we're doing everything so quickly is because the RBA has its own internal deadlines. And I think it's mid-May, Steve. I think I think that's what you got back as a as a as a sort of a date. So by mid-May we will, we hope to give the 60 chartered members support and the candidate um, to the RBA. So then that becomes the formal candidate. We're all gonna stay informally involved. So we are going to kind of once whoever the person out of those four is um, selected, we are all gonna vote and support and kind of rally up the vote um, for, for the candidate. And I, I'm between the people that kind of organized this campaign, there's a lot of people that have already been on the RBA Council. So I know you all four are new to the RBA in that sense, but we are here to help you. And I mean, you can see the amount of RBA presidents who have been chatting to us. So I can imagine there's a lot of goodwill. So you don't have to know the organization yourself. Um, and I mean, the CEO is gone. So, you know, you're going to get a new CEO, so you can train them. Who cares, you know? Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, one of you four is going to be the next RBA president. Let's not go joke about it, you know? Um, so, yeah, vote, and hopefully that's all, I think. 
Excellent. So, so important then people vote. And I just want to remind people that you might be, especially if you're a part one, double check because to be a, a, an RABA student member is actually incredibly easy. I believe it's actually free. And if all the RABA students voted, then that's a huge amount, which basically would hugely influence the vote. But it does rely on you doing that, it does rely on you probably registering now or double checking if not, because it'll be too late. Because once that ballot goes up, if you're not there and you're not able to register as part of the RAB, well, guess what? All this is for nothing. And we wouldn't want to let everyone down. We wouldn't want to let you down if you actually like what one of the candidates says. So, so important, especially if you're in what's called a younger demographic that actually you get involved. We're not ages here. I'm just telling you what the demographics is. Or wherever you are, whether you're working in an architectural practice or you run an architectural practice or whatever, get involved. If anything resonates with you guys, please do vote. Probably I'm going to say, Charlie, do you want to add a quick word on that or up to you if you do or not? Yeah, I mean, just to give it a little bit more context, you know, the election turnout is usually in the 10 to 20% range, not high at all. So if you consider the amount of the total membership that are students, if you think about the amount of total membership that could sign up for free, literally any time now, the potential for young people to have an enormous influence on this next Reba election is really, really, really significant and could essentially be something that sort of changes the game in terms of how governance is um, done in the profession. So um, yeah, just uh, make sure that you've got your membership in order. Excellent. All right. On that note, I think we can pretty much wrap this up. So whether you're practicing in architecture, you're an architecture student, if you're disillusioned and even more reason to listen, share this as well. I am not precious if you butcher this um, video. I know it's on the Architecture Social channel, but feel, feel free to clip it, share it, steal it, send it around to anyone that you think would be interested in voting. And especially if you're a chartered architect, I think that the, the candidate needs to have 60 architects following them. So do get in touch. You can get in touch with any of the candidates. Just to remind you again of what Simeon said earlier, there are some deadlines to so check out FAF's Instagram as well for some up-to-date information and subscribe if you haven't already. If you haven't already, what you're doing, and you can also subscribe and follow the Arctic Social. And I will put all the information on the free community forum as well as the website and continue to do it on LinkedIn. So on that note, I think I'm going to thank everyone for being here. You're all amazing guests. I'm just going to do a few rounds of applauses and say thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here tonight and as well to you, the listeners. That's what makes it so important. And we can... Potentially, I think, not even potentially, we can actually do this. So thank you, everyone. I'm going to close the live stream right now. Let's see what we can do. And let's actually get the next Reba president as a working professional in the architecture industry. Thank you, everyone. I'm going to end the live stream now. It's been an absolute blast. Stay on the stage if you want. I will end the broadcast. Bye.